So who just realised they turned up and it's guest speaker week? I'm sorry about that, guys. Sorry about that. Uh, if it's any consolation, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, I promise. So we'll get through it together, okay? Uh, well, good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Chris Domigan, and uh, this week Sam's let me out from behind the keyboard where I'm normally stationed. I do feel a little bit naked without a keyboard in front of me, so um, I won't go stand over there, though. Uh, it's my first time speaking, so... Yeah, if, you, uh, if you're encouraged this morning, then come and let me know. If not, then you can direct your inquiries uh, to Sam. Uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. So by day, I'm a software developer, so I sit in front of a computer and code and fix bugs, all that sort of good stuff. And, uh, you know, we programmers, we get a bit of a bad rap. Uh, people have all sorts of preconceived ideas um, about us, that we're nerdy, uh, that we've got, you know, below-average social skills... Uh, that we bathe infrequently, <laughs> or that we've got uh, excessive facial hair, all this stuff. But, um, you know, it's not true of me. And, um, and do you know why? It's because in this church, I respect authority, and Sam, I would never do anything to undermine you in any of those areas. Okay? <laughs> now, I, w- I was fortunate enough, to grow up, fortunate enough to grow up in a Christian home, and I was a pretty good boy, right? I was pretty well behaved. Uh, the most outrageous thing I've ever done, just hold on to your seats. I'm not joking. At 21, I drank a whole bottle of wine by myself, and I fell asleep spooning the family dog. So, uh, so those were my rebellious years. And uh, <laughs> thankfully, I've grown up a little bit since then, and uh, somehow I now have this uh, lovely wife and kids. Uh, this is my beautiful wife, Jo, sitting here, and uh, my kids, Pearl, Barnaby, Abe, and uh, Frankie. And you may have heard there's been something of a miraculous conception, uh, which means yeah, we're pregnant with baby number five. Yeah. Uh, unlike, unlike Joseph, I have not received any reassurance from an angel at all, which I could really do with, and got, so God, it's not too late. Um, it's still time. And another problem is, you know, we're entirely out of baby names now, right? Okay, so number four, number four is a real stretch in terms of things that we could remotely agree on. So if you've got any ideas, can you come and let me know? Um, or otherwise pray for a girl because that, that would make it a whole lot easier. But we moved up to the Bay from Christchurch about 18 months ago and uh, along with the Harveys and the Buxtons to help uh, start this church. So if you're new this morning, then you're in good company. We're all pretty new here. I'm loving living in Napier. Uh, the weather you guys have is awesome. I uh, love how warm it is. In Christchurch, you have these sunny days and you step outside and it's freezing. Whereas, you know, just last week it was raining and I step outside and it's 15 degrees so I could put the rubbish out in my boxes, you know. It's like, <laughs> mate, so if you're driving through Tamatea on a Wednesday morning, uh, you're welcome. Uh, but, you know, in all seriousness, there's been many challenges for us as a family uh, when, it's, when it came to, you know, discerning God's will for us, uh, whether or not we should even follow Sam and Jen up here. And one of the fears when you move city with a family is worrying about whether your kids will make friends and likewise, will there be those adults who can play a special part in their lives? And so uh, talking to you all this morning is a really special opportunity because this community has become our family. Uh, Our kids play with your kids. Um, Sitting out here are surrogate grandparents and aunties and uncles. So I just thank you for making us feel so special and so welcome. Let's see if this thing works. Maybe not. Uh, We've been looking at this series uh, over the last six weeks called Finding Life. 
uh, apprenticing to the beautiful way of Jesus. We've been looking at what it is to build this deep devotional life with Jesus. Now, why are we doing this? We're doing this series because we are convinced, aren't we, that true joy, true peace, and true fulfillment in our lives can only be found in Jesus. That's why we draw near to him. It says we mold our desires, our habits, and rhythms around his, that we're being formed into a people who can more and more receive that life he has for us. You know, when we put our trust in God, he gives us eternal life, but that's a life that starts here and now. Awesome, eh? It's a life that looks like freedom, freedom to be ourselves, uh, freedom from striving and busyness, freedom to, people over, to be people overflowing with love and peace and joy. That's the dream, eh? Now, I don't know about you, but that dream has not always been my reality. Uh, you know, one of the challenges I didn't expect moving up here is just uh, how disorienting it is to move cities. Man, for those first couple of months, I mean, thank goodness for GPS, you know, you got... Where are the supermarkets? Um, you've got all these little decisions and, and things to figure out. And then these big decisions, you know, what side of town should we buy on? Where should the kids go to school? Um, all this stuff. And you're in a totally unfamiliar territory without the normal um, comforts of home. It, it becomes quite exhausting because your brain's always on. You can never just be on autopilot. It was a really busy time for us uh, early last year. We just had a baby. The baby wasn't sleeping. Uh, we're both exhausted. We're starting a church. We're trying to sell our house in Christchurch. Uh, my job was difficult. And some of these practices we've been talking about, well, I didn't really have any of those in my life, at least not in any regular, habitual way. I was more involved with church than ever, and yet, ironically, in a drier spot spiritually than I've probably ever been. Uh, all the old things that used to work didn't, and I was away from home with all its comforts and distractions. Uh, I wrote, I made a journal entry um, in January this year. It's a little bit intense, uh, but I said, the means by which I apprehended Christianity have become inadequate foundations upon which my faith now rests. And so this all sort of culminated in June last year, uh, shortly after the birth of our child, when I had what you would call a nervous breakdown. I was just overwhelmed by stress and busyness. Um, I almost entirely withdrew from the world. I was anxious. At times, I was depressed. Uh, I couldn't parent my children. I found it hard to leave the house. I had dark thoughts about my own life. And I'd never experienced anything like that, never thought I would ever have to deal with anything like bad mental health. Um, so, so this is a really personal series for me, right? Because I need this. Um, this is a matter of life and death for me. Uh, I desperately need more of that life that Jesus promises. But, you know, the great thing is that over the last weeks and months, I've begun to taste it again. So Jesus, when he was around, he often referred to himself as a rabbi, right, as a teacher. And so if you were a disciple or an apprenticeship, apprentice of Jesus, your job was not only to learn the things he taught you, but to literally follow him and to imitate him in all his ways. So following a rabbi meant often literally following them from town to town. And there's this beautiful Jewish saying, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Because those disciples walking most closely behind Jesus, the dust from the rabbi's sandals would literally flick up and they'd, they'd get the rabbi's dust on them. You see, this invitation from Jesus was never come and believe in me. It was come and follow me. Come see how I live, how I spend my time, how I talk, who I hang out with, what are the things I praise, what are the things I condemn. My eldest son, Barney, is six, and he's just started taking piano lessons. And he's had about five or six piano lessons in his life, right? And the other, impressing on him the importance of practice is a bit difficult. Okay, parents? 
the other night he showed me what he'd been learning that day. And then in you know, all seriousness and earnestness, he turns to me and says, so am I as good as you now, Dad? Who, am I better than you now or are you still better than me? Uh, and so I had to explain to him, you know, I started playing when I was five and I sort of been practicing year after year after year to be able to get where I was. Now, he's only six years old, right? So we'll give him a pass. But, you know, I wonder if you and I don't sometimes bring the walk as something that might take practice. Uh, a few of us uh, in a small group earlier this year studied a book by Dallas Willard, uh, The Spirit of the Disciplines. We're still sort of recovering from that, aren't we, guys? Dallas Willard is, uh, he died recently, sadly. He's a um, very well-known Christian philosopher and author, and he wrote extensively on spiritual formation and practices. This is what he has to say. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. Does anyone remember those WWJD bracelets when they were a teenager? Oh, man. Who, who used to rock one of those? Now, who, what did it stand for? Yeah, what would Jesus do, right? So the idea was, before you did something stupid, because you were a wild, you know, you're a teenager, you had no self-control, you'd stop and think, hang on a second, what would Jesus do? And then you wouldn't do it. So, oh, maybe I won't craft that homemade bomb, Luke Buxton, and set it off in the school for the deaf. Okay? Jesus probably wouldn't have done that. Did you just leave your bracelet at home that day? Or maybe, maybe Joe Domigan, I won't steal that lip balm from the body shop. And... Even if I did return it later. Now, I'm just being a bit silly, but you know, those bracelets were better than nothing, that's for sure. But you know, I think sometimes we bring this WWJD mentality into our Christian life, right? It's, if it's only in the moment of crisis we stop and think, well, what would Jesus do? Then we've already lost the battle. We're not going to have those inner resources at our disposal when we need to get through. Here's Dallas Willard again. A successful performance at a moment of crisis rests largely and essentially upon the depths of a self wisely and rigorously prepared in the totality of its being, mind and body. So wisely and rigorously prepared. That's why these disciplines and spiritual practices are so important. That these new habits we're taking on, forming us into people who think and act like Jesus did, when we face the challenges of life, we're prepared. Paul uses this uh, athletics Metaphor, train yourself unto godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And that word train is the word gumnase, which is where we get our word gymnasium. So he's using this athletic metaphor. So for Paul, the Christian life was a life of continuous training. So hey, well done to you guys who've taken the first step in your training, you know, throughout this series. And like Michael said, it's so great to see so many people, even last week, prophesying for each other and taking those steps. Awesome. Moving ahead, this morning we're looking at devotional prayer and praying in tongues. Not only did you pick the guest speaker week, but he's talking about speaking in tongues. I'm really sorry. Man, okay. So what's devotional prayer? Well, prayer, right, we're communicating with God. So like our earthly conversations, it comes in a few different forms. You could have a prayer of supplication. You're asking God for something. Lord, would you help me in this exam that I thought was next month, but is actually in two days' time. You know who you are out there. A prayer of intercession, right? You might be praying for somebody. Maybe you've got a child who's sick or somebody you're concerned for. You're praying on their behalf. Devotional prayer is a personal prayer of intimacy. It's all about simply being with Jesus, talking with somebody you love, no agenda in mind other than to know them and to be known by them. 
And straight away, one of the barriers I think we run into to having a devotional prayer life is sometimes we don't really believe what God wants to hear from us, right? We struggle to believe he wants a relationship that's intimate and close. Maybe we don't feel worthy. Maybe that's just not the God we've grown up knowing, if we even knew God at all. Thankfully, the Bible's full of examples of just what God thinks of you. Let's rattle through these. See what kind of love the Father's given us. We should be called children of God. So we are. The Lord your God's in your midst. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. He'll quiet you by his love. He'll exult over you with loud singing. You've searched me, Lord. You know me. Your hand guides me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. So whether we know it or not or acknowledge it or not, God knows and loves you intimately. My uh, two-year-old daughter, Pearl, uh, has started calling me her handsome, uh, which is it's very discerning, by the way, for a two-year-old. Uh, but, man, it melts my heart. So she'll stroke my beard and she'll say, my handsome. Or she'll, like, call across the room, where are you, my handsome? It's so, it just melts my heart, right? So as her loving father, her words are just so sweet. It just brings me so much joy. Um, that's what God's like, right? He's our loving Father. Uh, listen to some of the Psalm of David. This is embarrassing stuff. I thirst for you. My lips will glorify you. I think of you through the watches of the night. I cling to you. It's like, cut it out, David, too much. And don't worry, in the next verse, he asks for God to destroy his enemies. So, you know, he comes right. Right, but it's raw and it's vulnerable. It's embarrassingly intimate. And that's what devotional prayer is all about. When we don't have this intimacy with God in prayer, I saw this on Twitter the other day. It's like a relationship where one partner doesn't speak. It's dysfunctional. Now, it's great if I tell my wife I love her, but if I were to only do that once every six months, it wouldn't quite cut it, right? (laughs) No. You see, devotional prayer, it's not intimate just because of what we say. It's intimate because of the regularity with which we say it. Okay? It's not what we pray, not just what we pray, it's when we pray. Devotional prayer is regular, I would argue, daily time that we're spending with God. And we know in life, right, some of the most important things need the most regular attention. If Sam doesn't clip his toenails for a couple of weeks, no one's going to die. But if he goes without food and water for a couple of weeks, we could have a problem. The most important things need regular attention. And it's, uh, it's even staring us right in the face, slap bang in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. Would you give us today our daily bread? And that word bread is uh, used symbolically in the Bible to represent uh, not so much physical food, but the life-giving nourishment of our very souls by the word and presence of God. And God's saying, would you ask me for this every day? And you know how we go when we skip a meal or we miss food for a day, right? We're grumpy, irritable, but we, we really feel the lack, eh? Okay, and no wonder many of us are then feeling this deep sense of spiritual starvation, okay? I've often gone days, weeks, and months between meals, spiritually. <laughs> so devotional prayer is intimate, regular time spent with God. And I've started doing this when I go for a walk. I'll go for a walk around Anderson Park where I live nearby. And it's trying to make that a daily practice. And so I'm, I just want to encourage you this morning, if that's not uh, you, try and take that next step. Uh, for me, the benefit's been incredible. Um, in fact, prayer and praying in tongues, which we'll get to in a second, was a huge part of my recovery uh, from my poor mental health. So if you don't really pray at all, you can start really small, maybe first thing when you wake up in the morning, just have a thought for him and just try and do that at a regular time throughout the day. I know many of you might do that before bed or, or first thing. Maybe you're not comfortable even talking to God in intimate terms. Try that on for size. Try saying some words of affection to God. 
Okay, praying in tongues. I just want to zoom in and focus on one way in which we can pray devotionally, and that's praying in tongues. It's just from the outset, I just want to address there'll be a number of different types of people out there today when it comes to this topic, right? Uh, there'll be those of us who do it. Fantastic. This probably isn't for you. Although at the end, we might have an opportunity to pray for one another. And if you do pray in tongues, I'd love you to be involved in that and praying for people to receive tongues. Uh, there'll be those of us who don't pray in tongues, but maybe we're open to it. Maybe we even long for it. There'll be those of us who know nothing about it, maybe have no idea what I'm even talking about, except that it sounds kind of weird, probably crazy. And for those people, I just hope this next part serves to at least inform and perhaps even awaken a curiosity in you. And finally, there will be those of us who are anti it or suspicious of it. It may just be there are some misconceptions about tongues, and if so, hang in there. Something might be helpful. And for some of us, maybe we've seen the gifts of the Spirit abused or we've felt pressured or condemned. And I guess my prayer for you would be to not let that experience rob you from what God might have for you. I was, uh, I was doing one of my prayer walks through the park the other day, and I'm walking along, and I see the swan next to me in a puddle. And it was weird, so it's like, that swan shouldn't be there. The river's way over there, right? And I looked up. And it had been raining, and so what had happened is the river had sort of overflowed its banks, and it had actually cut a new stream right through the park, and the swans were nesting there and making their home there. And I just sort of felt the Spirit say to me, you know, this is a prophetic picture for someone out here this morning. So maybe that's you. Maybe God's actually saying, by my Spirit, I want to cut a new stream of life across your life. Okay, that could be for you. It's a little bit of an in-joke that I'm the one talking about tongues this morning. I'm not known as uh, the most charismatic person in both senses of the word. Um, I'm not prone to getting overexcited. In fact, sometimes it drives my wife crazy how seemingly unmoved I am by pretty major life events, the birth of a child, uh, the death of a close relative, and um, this is one of my favorite Far Side cartoons. And me and this dog have got a lot in common, right? I think he's my spirit animal. This is, uh, this is what we look like on the outside when things are going on inside. You know, happy, depressed, angry, pensive, excited, suicidal. Right, let's just rattle through. Let's look at what the Bible says about tongues. There's really only two major books in the Bible that mention it in any detail. First of all, it uh, shows up in the book of Acts. Is that Acts? Yep. Acts, remember, it's the story of the early church begins with Jesus having ascended, gone to heaven, and he promised uh, his Holy Spirit to those who waited for him. When the day of Pentecost came, his disciples were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, staying in Jerusalem, there were Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, they came together in bewilderment. Each of them heard their own language being spoken. They were amazed. Ba ba ba, down to the bottom. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. What does this mean? Some of them made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. You know, that attitude of, says down at the bottom, they were amazed and perplexed. That tension is still with us today. So, if this is a confusing topic for you, take heart. It's always been there. 
Another little bit from Acts. Peter was still speaking these words. He was preaching to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that is the Jews, who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, even on non-Jews. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the same Holy Spirit as we did. So the gift of tongues in this case was pivotal of convincing Peter that God wanted to invite everybody, not just the Jews, to participate in the family of believers. And then finally from Acts, when, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, he arrived at Ephesus, he asked uh, some disciples who came across, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. He said, well, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. Paul explained John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and they were, uh, Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, they spoke in tongues, tongues and prophesied. So accompanying an accompanying sign of the promised Holy Spirit being poured out was that people started speaking in tongues. Now, similar to baptism, speaking in tongues has, uh, over the years, been an area of disagreement for Christians. There's been a school of thought, um, particularly sort of came to popularity a couple of hundred years ago, that uh, with the closing of Scripture, the need for miraculous signs and gifts ceased, and that they're not for today. Uh, we would not subscribe to that view. We think there's um, ample evidence that those uh, signs and wonders have continued. There's also another uh, point of view that is held in some sort of Pentecostal circles, which is that if you uh, uh, have the Holy Spirit, you must speak in tongues. That in fact the sons, uh, the sons must speak in tongues. That in fact tongues is an indicator that you have the Holy Spirit. Um, and we likewise would not at this church subscribe to that view. The book of Acts has uh, 22 occasions where it's recorded the Holy Spirit was poured out, and on only three of those occasions is it recorded that tongues was um, spoken. So we just take quite a common view that uh, all the spiritual gifts, including tongues, prophecy, healing, are for today, but that those gifts are freely given, freely received. They're not some magical indicator of how spiritual you are. By far the most detailed account of speaking in tongues is found in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Now, Corinth was like the sin city of the ancient world, right? It was the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. And Romans would even, use, would even call you a Corinthian if you were someone who was immoral or rejoiced in your immorality. Uh, the church it was a real mix of some Jews, but mainly Gentile converts who were slaves and servants. And so they brought a whole lot of bad behaviours over from their uh, former, former life. Uh, there were internal tensions, factions forming. Uh, flagrant immorality was tolerated in the church. For instance, a brother was uh, living in immorality with his father's wife. Uh, so Paul stages this big intervention and uh, writes them a couple of letters. There's some encouragement in there, but there's a lot of stern warning and direction. And, uh, and talk about airing dirty laundry. He addresses, he addresses all sorts of things. Um, divisiveness, litigation, some of them were taking each other to court, food they were offering to idols, class divisions. And one of the areas he comments on is spiritual gifts. Now, I'm just going to very quickly pop up a few comments he makes about tongues. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, he's actually contrasting tongues with prophecy because what was happening was everyone was being really selfish, blabbing away in tongues, yelling across the room, not taking turns. And Paul's point in this letter was to offer a bit of a correction. He was saying, guys, how about you tone down the tongues a bit and maybe amp up the prophecy a bit so that at least when you're talking, people are getting some benefit out of it, right? They can understand what you're saying. Uh, so it was just a circus, right, this church. And his point was, guys, a visitor to this place is just going to be totally freaked out. In fact, they have found some footage recently of a visitor turning up to the church at Corinth. 
Okay? So Paul's like, guys, this is not helping. This is not what we want. All right. So I've just, I've just, so bear in mind this is all a contrast against prophecy, which I've ripped out. I've just pulled out the stuff that talks about tongues. He says, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are to mysteries by the Spirit. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Edify means to build up. It's a construction term. Um, a nice way of thinking of it is to create space for God's presence to fill. Uh, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. Paul uses some interesting language in here. He contrasts praying in the spirit with praying in the mind. And uh, this is actually used all the way through Scripture. Uh, Romans, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Um, that, sorry, this this uh, wording of praying in the Spirit is used all the way through the Bible. The Spirit intercedes with us, uh, for us with groanings too deep for words, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You see, we, in the, particularly in the Western world, we've got this very modern idea of prayer. We see prayer as primarily speaking to God words that we've thought up in our minds. And even saying that seems obvious. It's like, duh, yeah, that's what prayer is. Uh, but that's actually quite a modern invention. Now, this is also a bit of a particularly Pākehā problem. Our um, Māori culture places much more emphasis on a holistic spirituality, so I think we can learn a lot from our Māori brothers and sisters in this. Bruxy Cavey, who's a Canadian pastor, tells the story of a woman who deconverted from Christianity, and she converted to Islam, and when she became a Muslim, she said, oh, thank God they have prayers, right? Her experience of Christianity had been that prayer was just something you had to make up herself. And she found in Islam this rich tradition of set prayers that she could recite and get herself into. But that, that isn't the way it's been for the majority of Christian history. Even in the book of Acts, um, as Michael mentioned, we're told the early church devoted themselves to fellowship, Sam mentioned, they devoted themselves to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Okay, not prayer in the abstract. There were set prayers that had been written. And it offered them, it offers us freedom, right? From the burden of him to come up with our own things all the time. So set prayers deal with part of the problem. Praying in the spirit and praying with tongues deal with the other half of the problem deals with the fact that we're fundamentally limited by our mind's ability to understand ourselves and express ourselves fully to God. So praying the Spirit, what is it? It just looks like surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit when it comes time to pray. An example of this was at a, a recent prayer meeting we had from Marai Nui. We all stood in a circle. We had a bit of singing, and then we just waited. And then bit by bit, people began to have words of prophecy and encouragement for one another, or they saw a picture or a vision. So praying in tongues is just another way we can pray in the Spirit. Tongues just means languages in Greek, okay? Tongues, it was a form of prayer and praise that you express to God in a language you don't understand. This is N.T. Wright's definition. He's a, a New Testament theologian. No, it's not. Tongues, it's a gift of speech, which, though making sounds and using apparent or even actual languages, somehow bypasses the speaker's conscious mind. When I grew up as a kid, my mum uh, very intentionally raised me a Christian, and one of the biggest things she taught me was how to pray. Um, she taught me that I could pray to God whenever I wanted, and he wanted to hear all the detail. And so as a kid, most nights before I went to sleep, I'd be lying there, and I'd just be praying to God. 
as I grew up, just in the process of becoming an adult, I began to grow out, grow out of some of that uh, some of those childlike behaviours. And sadly, that's one of them that got left behind. You know, I grew into a reasonably sort of introverted adult, and my prayer life sort of suffered as a result. It became something that was quite hard and I really had to uh, struggle with. At the same time, in my late teens and early 20s, I encountered a breed of people who spoke in tongues, and I just thought it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. Uh, John Wimber, who's the founder of the vineyard, had a similar experience. One of the main reasons I used to resist speaking in tongues was that I didn't like a lot of the tongue speakers I'd met, right? Who's had that experience? That was my experience. These were some of the most immature people I'd ever seen in my life. The, the character was shocking. And so, you know, here I was, you know, very proud with my head screwed on properly. And so I was very suspicious of anybody claiming to have any kind of miraculous gift or the Holy Spirit. So if you told me back then that I'd be giving this sermon today, I probably wouldn't believe you, right? But over time, I grew more and more curious, both about whether or not the Holy Spirit was real and active, but uh, specifically, you know, I, used to, I began to have this fascination, even desire to have the gift of tongues for myself. The idea that I could somehow come and pray to God without having to come up with all the right words, that is incredibly attractive. So I began to pray in earnest to receive the gift of tongues. Over a period of six or seven years, I'd go out for older calls. I'd be like, Lord, would you give me this gift? And nothing happened. Okay? It was quite discouraging. It didn't help, though, that I had this idea that it would be like this lightning bolt of heaven and suddenly I'd start babbling. Fast forward to about nine years ago, I'm 27, I'm lying in my bed at night, and I just get the sudden prompting, would you pray, would you pray for tongues again? I did it, I rolled over, I went back to sleep. Next day, happened to be sitting in on a youth meeting that was happening in the hall, and um, there were some friends, and the guy at the end said, I just feel prompted to pray for people who'd like to receive the gift of tongues. I went up. And he prayed for me. He said, just start moving your mouth. Just start making some sounds and see what happens. I did. And something just started welling out of me that hasn't stopped since. And in that moment, I felt such a sense of peace and serenity uh, in the spirit. It was just incredible. And that sort of sensation was with me so strongly over the next couple of weeks as I practiced uh, this new gift God had given me. Elsa and Paul, do you guys want to pop up? Uh, Just while I do this bit. So for me, praying in tongues has meant these things. It's made my prayer life so much easier, okay? I hate hard work. I hate having to come up with the things to say. If I can find an easy way around it, awesome. And praying in tongues is like going from driving a manual to an automatic, okay? It's just so practical. It's so helpful. It's meant then that this intimacy and closeness with God is so much easier to achieve. I can come to his presence so much quicker. It allows me to get things off my chest that I didn't even know I had in there, right? I'm not transparent to myself. I don't know what's going on in here half the time. Praying in tongues allows me to express that directly to God. Incredibly liberating. And it helped, thank God, heal me of some of that suspicion I had of the Holy Spirit and of the gifts that he has for us. So for me, so useful, particularly when I'm burnt out or tired. If I don't know the words to pray, maybe I'm feeling distant from God, a sense of shame. Um, Or maybe I'm full of wonder and I just don't know the words to say to express it. Uh, just as we finish up, I've just asked Ailsa and Paul to come up. These are two people who I've just happened to get into spontaneous conversations with over the weeks, and the topic of come, tongues has come up. And I've just asked them to each recount to you very briefly just how they came to speak in tongues and what it means for them, and just that you would feel encouraged by this, and perhaps if you don't speak in tongues, you might be inspired to, to come up and ask for it. Paul, do you want to start? Kia uh, ora um, When I started praying in tongues, it was... Um because everybody that was around me were praying in tongues. And so it was just like uh, I got saved and I went to a life group 
and a lot of Māori people and island people, and they all they'd start to let's have prayer. You know, and I was thinking, whoa, here we go, because I was a good Catholic boy, and it was not prayers weren't written down, and uh, they didn't have a prayer book or anything. And just there was a Sunday Bundy Kundo Barabisuba, and I was going, what the heck? I've joined up with some cult or something. And, uh, but then it's, as I started to read the word on my own and uh, asked people some questions, I, I came to understand that uh, the gift of tongues was for me. It's a gift that God gave for me to help build myself up when I'm down and when I didn't know what to pray. And when I was in that spot where I'd, I'd think, oh, geez, I'm in, I'm in a bit of trouble and I don't know how to pray, I would just break into tongues. And um, what it does for me, and I think for most of us who do pray in tongues, is it brings the sense of the Holy Spirit coming close. Yeah. I just have that sense that he is coming close because it's my spirit speaking to the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of the things I started to get from that was, man, when I felt God was, a, was a, taking a journey away from me, you know, he's, he's gone off his own somewhere, um, <laughs> then I would pray in tongues and call him back. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, it seems to work every time God goes away I just pray in tongues and he comes back <laughs> and um, so you know, it was, it was lovely in that area but I think uh, I, I kind of fell into the trap was uh, I can just pray in tongues because it's just my spirit speaking and my mind can be miles away and I fell into that trap. Well, I don't need to pray. I'm just going to pray all. You know, Paul says, I wish that you pray in tongues, but more that you prophesy. I was like, I can prophesy. So I'm just going to pray in tongues. And so I opted out of the devotional prayer. And so everywhere I went, everything I was, it was about praying in tongues. Because then I could play games on my computer and pray in tongues, you know. I can sit there and go, Hallelujah, Ooh, I won, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, God, you're with me. Look at that, I won again. And so I got into that habit of, I don't need a devotional life because I'm praying in tongues. And so there's got to be that, that blend. You've got to have both. And so, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Okay, so how it happened for me, I guess I grew up as a child in in an era where the Holy Spirit was the forgotten part of the Godhead. And um, then back in the 70s, people started to learn who the Holy Spirit was, what he did. And um, there was a lot more teaching on the Holy Spirit and a greater awareness of him as a person. Um, And then this issue of speaking in tongues came up. And um, actually, truth be told, I think I was satisfied with my relationship with God without tongues. I knew the Holy Spirit was alive in me, but did I really need tongues? And um, I remember... (laughs) Asking lots of questions and reading a lot and thinking it through and, um, and even making questions to justify my position, probably. <laughs> like, how can a gift be a gift if you ask for it? Is it really a gift? But just a quick little aside. A certain little girl who you all know 
asked me very recently, have you got lollies in your handbag for me? (laughs) Why did she ask the question? Well, sometimes there have been lollies in my handbag for her. And also because she's a little girl who knows that she is really and truly loved. How many times have I seen her dad throw her in the air and catch her and heard her say, more, more, more. And so then I began to realise the truth of of what it says in Luke about a good father gives what his children ask for. And God brought me to the point where I was willing to ask. Um, It happened when I'd been away, came home, unpacked, tidied up and was tired, lay down to rest and began to think about the Lord and started talking to him and the next thing, the words that came out were singing in the spirit. And it's like I felt I couldn't stop and just so much joy, such, you know, and that's how it is now. So the, and the gift of singing in the spirit is something that is um, probably our greatest weapon. It's part of the worship that God makes possible. I have to say that's the, what, the most important thing for me. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. So just the homework for this week. Um, in a second, we're going to have a bit of time for prayer. Uh, beginner. If you've never asked for the gift of tongues, if you've asked for it, it hasn't happened for you. If you long for it, if you're curious about it, it's worth a shot, guys. Come up and ask for it. That's your beginner homework. There'll be an opportunity this morning. Intermediate, take your, depre- take your devotional prayer life to the next level making, by making it a regular daily practice. If you pray in tongues, do it daily as part of that routine, okay? We want to take these things from being, you know irregular, every now and again things to being a daily practice. Remember, it's about intimacy. Advanced, I've been very inspired by a couple of authors, Dallas Willard, Richard Foster. There's a couple of books there that I would just really recommend. Sam.